Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast, brought to you by Workman Forensics. Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast. I'm Leah Wheatholter, CEO of Workman Forensics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joining me today is Javier Leva, and I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners and one of Javier's fans for connecting me to Javier. So thank you, Matt, so much for connecting us. This is a really great interview. Javier Leva is a podcast producer and host of Pretend, a documentary style podcast. Pretend is a story driven show about real people pretending to be someone who they're not. The podcast features interviews with con artists, snake oil salesmen, and undercover agents anyone living a lie. His investigative podcast career has taken him to some wild places. He even reported from inside a cult. During his reporting, the host inadvertently became part of the story. He also interviewed a woman who sells bleach as a form of medication, and his reporting exposed a prank ring responsible for thousands of dollars in damages. Javier worked 15 years in television, producing documentaries, news, and commercials. Most recently, he's worked as a creative director at various marketing agencies. Regardless of the medium, his passion is storytelling. Thank you for joining me today, Javier. Oh, thank you for having me. What a, what a pleasure. What an honor it is to be on your show. How cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about our conversation. And today I'd like to learn about some of the investigations that you featured as episodes on your podcast, Pretend. Uh, but first, what inspired you to create this podcast? Well, what inspired me to create the podcast, because I often tell people I'm not even into true crime. That's not my thing, you know? Um, oh, that's but, funny. <laughs> but investigation and news is my thing, right? And I, I started off my career early on making documentaries, producing documentaries for a local PBS station. And then I moved into news and I loved that. It was like every day you just go on an adventure, you know, it's just like, go ask questions, like, you know, follow people, chase people down. It was, it was fun, but eventually I moved out of news and I got a real job and, but I missed it. I missed it. I still had that, that itch I wanted to scratch. And so that's what, what really made me want to start an investigative podcast. The true crime part of it was kind of an accident. Um, I have a cousin who is a con artist. I'm sure all of you listening right now has a black sheep in the family. Well, he's our black sheep in our family. And I knew he was a con artist, but I didn't know exactly what he had done, you know, like the details. And so I was starting to formulate the idea for this podcast. And, and I was in Miami one day and I said, hey, you know, I'm doing this podcast. Would you mind if I record? And can I ask you all these questions? And he just laid down on his bed and I sat down beside him my iPhone and I just recorded and he confessed everything he has ever done. And I was shocked. I mean, oh shocked because <laughs> like I knew he was uh, the black sheep of the family, but I had like no idea. And he told me from the beginning, you know, how he started off as a small time crook breaking into people's homes to like owning a medical clinic with hiring a fake doctor, writing uh, scripts for opioids. And, and it was just like, it blew my mind. And and that was really what what defined the show. It's like, oh, this show is not just about people pretending to be else to be someone else, but it's really about crime and, and people mm -hmm. pretending to be someone else. So that's that's how it happened. So it was really a, a happy accident. I've got to tell you, based on that story and some of the episodes I've listened to, you must just have this face and this like, I don't know, sense <laughs> about you that people just confess to you. Because sometimes the so. information that you get out of people, I'm like, how Why are you, you telling me this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the same thing. Well, because, you know, my approach is I try not to be judgmental. If I, if I approach a conversation with an opinion or an agenda or something like that, if I don't see it from their point of view, they're not going to talk to me. So 
honestly, a lot of the con artists that I talk to, they, I, I'm, I'm always scared that moment where the episode is done and I hit publish because now it's like out there in the world and they don't listen to it before I publish it. And, I, and mm-hmm. then I always, you know, write them an email or a text and I'm like, Hey, the episode's up and I'm scared of, about their reaction. But the nine times out of 10, they love it. They love it because like I told their story the way they want it to tell their story. And they're, they take a lot of pride in their crimes. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'll never understand that. You know, okay. So in my line of work, when we have a fraud investigation and in like an embezzlement and the subject is still employed with the employer, which is what we recommend. And then we do our work and then we go and confront them with some sort of interview. And then I go tell people about this in trainings afterwards. They're like, why would people admit to it? Like, why do these people want to help you with your investigation after you're done? And I mean, I've always wondered the same, (laughs) like, I don't know, but I mean, what you're talking about, that's true. Like, cause when I go into those interviews, I mean, I can't help but see myself sitting there. Like, yeah. if I had made similar choices, you know, I, I, I don't know, just the humanity behind it. You, you really don't know how you're going to react when you're in those situations. And I was just, I'm listening because I'm rewatching Breaking Bad because I love that oh. show. And I'm listening to it. They have a companion podcast and the creator, Vince Gilligan, he says, he said something that I thought was really insightful. He goes, when you're writing the, for a bad guy, the bad guy doesn't think he's a bad guy. You see what right. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And then that's how I approach this thing. I, I don't see these people as bad people. They just made bad decisions, I guess. And some, mm-hmm. some of them make bad decisions over and over. And some of them do it intentionally, but they're not bad people, you know? So I always try to find the good in them and try to relate to them no matter how bad they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um I am not a fan of an attitude that's kind of prevalent in fraud investigation that I'll see online where it's like this, can you believe this person did this? But, you know, as fraud examiners, we talk about this fraud triangle and part of the, one of the sides of the fraud triangle is rationalization. And if I can rationalize anything, then that's how someone doing something that mm-hmm. we say is bad. I mean, they're stealing money, they're selling drugs, whatever, but somehow they've been ra- able to rationalize that to convince yeah. themselves that they're still okay. Yeah. And and then when the victims become the con artists too. That, that I've had situations like that where, you know, you would think, well, the victim, they shouldn't be the con artist, but there's a level of greed there too, where they, mm-hmm. they rationalize why they played along or something like that. You know, it, yeah. it, it gets murky, you know? Well, you do a great job Thank you. communicating <laughs> all of these stories. And I am amazed at some of the content that you like, like, that the person you're interviewing has shared. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, oh, and, and and then the sport, the part that I enjoy the most is that right now I'm working on season eight and it's hunting these people down and trying to convince them to talk to me. So once I convince them to talk to me, I know I know I could handle it from there, but like just trying to get them to talk to me. I'm always amazed at the people that actually say yes, that they want to talk to me. Yeah. Are they not afraid of like law enforcement using your podcast to come find them or something? I don't know. I had this episode the other day that the guy is confessing to all these crimes and he's like, well, I, I guess statutes of limitations is... And I'm like, <laughs> you guess? Like, why are you telling me all this stuff? You know? Oh my gosh. And he knows you're recording it. Yeah. He knows this is going to go on your podcast, which is super popular. I think the, um, the vanity part kind of 
takes a yeah. play in there and, and bypasses their judgment. I don't know. I mean, you are interviewing like really clever people, like yeah. to do what they've done. A lot of them have to be like pretty clever. Like I'm thinking about the one, the guy that would kidnap couples and take oh them out to their land. Yeah. Todd right? Colhub. Yeah. Yes. That one. And, and like just the arrogance, just listening to those recordings, the arrogance of, yeah, saying, I mean, like, <laughs> I was listening to like hours and hours and hours of this guy justifying what he was doing. And it makes sense when he's talking about it. It makes perfect sense. He's like, all right, so I had this girl and her boyfriend and I don't know what to do with them. So I had to kill the boyfriend and I, I kept her in there, but I fed her and I was like, you know, bringing her books or whatever. And he was just like rationalizing this stuff. But the way he was explaining it, it I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then you step back and you're like, no, he's a psycho, you know, but right. like, in, but when you get close enough to the center of that cyclone, you mm -hmm. all their rationalizations start making sense, which is crazy. I like how he was, I think, talking to the sheriff or something. And he's like, well, you know, like we do in this. And the sheriff's like, no, no. not like we do. <laughs> no, this is not the case. Right. This is not Gosh. normal. So for each of these investigations, like how do you learn about the situation? Did they come through tips or something in the news that you find interesting? How, how did, what's your process? You know, a lot of people ask me that and, and it happens in different ways, right? So like some people will send me tips. Some Sometimes I read a story on the newspaper, but nine times out of 10, it's just, I'm curious about a particular topic. So remember this whole topic of pretend, this concept of people pretending to be someone else, it's just an experiment to see how many different ways can I explore that concept of people pretending to be someone else. So I usually pick a topic and then go find the story. So I do it oh. in reverse. So right now I'm doing a whole series on hypnosis. All I, the, the central question is, is it real? Is it not? Like that's, that's how I start. Mm -hmm. Then I start finding stories and you'd be surprised. I mean, I have um, hypnosis has been used in court trials as, as testimony and people have been convicted and gone to jail because of uh, the witness used hypnosis to identify him. Uh, there's a lady who says that she could uh, make certain male body parts grow using hypnosis. There's, uh, But you see how this starts unraveling? It's like when you're going down a rabbit hole, you know, on Wikipedia, everybody does it, except I have mm -hmm. a podcast. But I'm you're listening to me going down a, a rabbit hole. But it starts off with, hey, I, I haven't done anything on hypnosis. I did a whole thing about magicians. I'm like, magicians are pretending to be someone else. Mm -hmm. And I did this whole series on magicians. And it was, but it starts off with this general topic. And then it kind of goes from there. So I guess there's this, I haven't gotten to watch it yet. A friend texted me about it, I think yesterday. There's a show on HBO about um I, oh generation uh, entrepreneurs something. yeah it's yeah. it's like it's like kind of millennial generation mm -hmm. type thing but it's this these people pretending to be entrepreneurs but really they're con artists like ripping oh. people off and so that would be an that's kind of what i thought of immediately was yeah. like yeah you're right all of these people like labeled as entrepreneurs but really mm -hmm. they're just con artists using that yeah. as yeah. because it's such a popular um, thing to do right now, you know? Own yeah. Own oh, is it generation hustle or something? Yes, like that? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I started yeah. watching that. You know, it's one of those things, like if you work at McDonald's, you don't want to eat McDonald's. <laughs> so like I try to watch it because it seems like something I would be interested in, but it, it's just work. It, it sounds like yeah. work, you know? No, I, like I'm sometimes when I want to watch TV, I just want to 
just zone out. Yeah, same. I'm like, give me Marvel. I don't want to watch FBI shows, you right. know? Like, I exactly. need a world that doesn't exist. Right, <laughs> you exactly. Know? So I totally get it. So um, whenever you, you know, have this idea for these topics and you start trying to find people and all of that, what does your investigation process look like? Like, do you really just like reach out to people and just say, Hey, I've got this. I want to know about this. Will you go on the record and talk to me? I mean, how, what does that yeah, look like? Like today's you're capturing, you're, you're capturing and recording this episode on a day where I'm doing literally that I'm cold calling people. I'm emailing people. I have like, five or six different stories I'm working on at the same time. And I have a list of people that I need to reach and I have databases that I tap into to find their address, their phone numbers, their email address. I find them on social media. You know, I find people that know these people to see if I could get to those people any way I could to get these people. And sometimes, sometimes I just like, I have a great story and nobody wants to talk to me. And I hate those because it, some, some of those just are dead on arrival, you know, but um, I keep going at it. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've got to say, I am slightly jealous of your job doing this because there are so many things in the world being an investigator that I'll see something somewhere and go, man, if only I had time to request these documents, <laughs> right. I could actually see who's being paid on this, you know, right, or right. like, well, you know, this is not awesome. my job. This is not my job. This is, this is a hobby. <laughs> that's awesome. Which <laughs> seems for, to be working really well, though. Yeah, I mean, it's great. But it's not like quit your job money. You know, yeah. it's like it pays for itself, which is the only requirement. Because if I if I had to actually put up personal money to keep this thing going, it probably wouldn't be worth it. Because the amount of time that I spend on it, none of oh, that money yeah. is, it, it, I'm, I'm getting less than minimum wage. I've never done the math, but I'm sure it's like pennies on the dollar. But but it's fun and, and it keeps me engaged. Thank God during mm -hmm. COVID, you know, when everybody was locked down, this at least made the time go by quicker, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, so I think you kind of answered this one, but do all of your investigations result in some sort of a podcast episode? Do you try to, even if people won't talk to you, do you still try to talk about it or? I try to, if I invest this much time into something, I'm going to get a story out of it somehow, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like, and, and uh, I'll give you an example of this hypnosis one that I'm working on. Oh, I, I want to do an episode on hypnosis about regressive hypnosis. So like there's this Harvard professor who is like a legit professor who is, he was the one that developed the, the psychology department at Harvard. He really believed in regressive psychology, you know, hypnosis and he, people who have been abducted quote unquote by UFOs would come and see him and he would really believe their story. So for me, there was like this legitimate angle to this thing. It's like when we think about people who have been abducted by UFOs, we dismiss them as crazy, but there's a serious psychology expert that really believes in these people. So I wanted mm -hmm. to do something on that, but I keep striking out. Like I, I can't find people who have been abducted by aliens who have seen this guy and then the professor's dead. And, you know, he, so I'm like running into dead ends, but I still want to do the story. So yeah, I'm going to sure. try to figure it out. You know, Yeah, that's awesome. Well, maybe since we have this audience of like investigators and I feel like investigators just know interesting people. So maybe they know somebody who can like help you. Yeah. If you know uh, anybody that's re regressive psychology or has been abducted by aliens, uh, ideally both. <laughs> if, if you're like making your wish list, you'd like yeah. both things, please. Please. That's hilarious. Yeah. So 
Okay, the first story that I'd like to start with to ask you about is about investigating a cult. Mm-hmm. I this was the series that whenever uh, Matt, this friend of mine, referred me to your podcast. Uh, this was the series that I listened to, and so I'm curious how this came about um, yeah. and what you found, and then kind of some of your takeaways and just how that case has kind of followed you even. Yeah, it's that's another one. So I kind of, we started this conversation by talking about my con artist uh, cousin, but mm-hmm. the show was not supposed to be a crime show. I, I produced like five episodes about people pretending to be someone else, like actors, comedians, ghostwriters, that kind of stuff. And then when I interviewed him, I, I realized that this was a crime show. And now I had to scramble because I'm like, I can't air those other ones. I have to like come up with crime related topics, right? And so I'm scrambling, looking for a story. And I and I realized that well, I think I went to the grocery store, which is like two minutes away to get milk. And I heard this little blurb on the radio about this cult in Western North Carolina. And I'm like, oh, that could be interesting. So I started looking this up and I find that one of the former members lived in near where I live. And so I thought, well, let's see if he would talk to me. And he did. And we met at a baseball park and we sat in the dugout and he was just telling me everything and I was just recording everything. And that was season one of my show. It's just me trying to figure out what the show is about, you know? So I'm like just doing all sorts of crazy stories, but that cult episode kind of followed me. So I did three episodes in season one and people still wanted more and wanted more and wanted more. And so I went and decided that I was going to do a whole 11 episode series on the, on the cult. And I went to Western North Carolina where the cult um, is located. And I was even invited by the cult leader to spend the day at the church, which was not planned. That was not part of the original plan, but that's what happens. Once you get into the story, I always tell people when I do a series, I have like the first half is planned. (laughs) The second half is just, we'll see what happens, you know, because the story always evolves as you're doing it. Sure. And so, and I had, you know, and people still talk about that, like the cult, that's what they want to know about all the time. And Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that long form storytelling where it it was 11 episodes to tell one story. So that's why I started a whole new podcast called Criminal Conduct, where I could do a whole series on one topic. So each season yeah. is just one topic. But pretend it's more episodic, you know, like mm-hmm. one or two episodes on a, on a topic. Yeah. So in this cult, just in, you know, if our listeners haven't heard about it, um, what I found interesting about how you covered it was that you did talk to the person, you know, that you mentioned that lived near you. So you talked to him, but then you also reached out, as I think any good journalist or investigator should, but you also reached out to the other side to get yeah. their opinion. And then they and had they're not, And they're YouTube not very and- media friendly, by the way. Like they don't like to talk to the media. So that was quite a challenge. I, I never thought that they would talk to me. How ever. did... How did it come about that the founder like Well because I started I started doing the series like the first uh-huh. four or five episodes came out and by the way this is season 3 for anyone who wants to listen to it like just skip to season 3 because the first season is just three episodes so I kind of if you start in season 3 it'll be fine but I I did the first four or five episodes and I guess they were listening and and I had emailed them, but never heard back. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm camping out in the front yard or something with my kids. I'm just like camping and I wake up and you know how you pick up your phone and you let the, the phone light kind of wake up your eyes. 
I get an email from Jane Whaley, the cult leader, who, by the way, is probably in her 80s now. She's like this little old lady with blonde helmet hair and it's terrifying, terrifying person. <laughs> I know she, a little old lady shouldn't be terrifying, but everybody uh, answers to Jane. And she said that God spoke to her and that I should come visit the church and see what it was like. And I said, of course. <laughs> and, I, and I forget because it's been a couple of years now, but I jumped in the car and we went to go visit Jane. Oh my gosh. Did did you feel like whenever you were there, everybody was on like their best behavior and trying to make things not weird? Or did you feel like they were just themselves? Well, you know, it could have gone either way, right? It could have yeah. been like, they were. They could have just been like, we got him. Let's. let's. <laughs> they could have just started blasting prayer you <laughs> right. or whatever well, they, they did. call it. They actually they did? did. Yeah. Okay. Then I haven't made it to that episode oh, yet. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did. But, but actually they were on their best behavior. And it was weird because after I visited the church, I felt so loved because they, they do this love bombing. And that's how, you know, like that's what the people who um, say that they've been a former members who say that they've been abused at the church. They, they say that when you start out the first couple of weeks, the first couple of months, they love bomb you and you don't see any other weird stuff. And then slowly you start realizing that they have this blasting prayer, which is what you were referring to. A blasting prayer is this, it's a form of deliverance. It's a way to cast the demons out of your body. And what they do is that they yell and they, not actual words. They just yell like, ah, you know, at you. And when one person's doing that, it's powerful. But when a whole church is blasting you, you know, it becomes really loud. It was just a very loud place. And so after the service, which was lovely, I mean, they had great music and all that stuff. And Jane and I went back to her office and she was telling me about, you know, she let me interview her, um, not on the record. Like you could listen and see why, but um, she let me interview her. And then she was describing the blasting prayer and she actually performed a blasting prayer on me. And that was terrifying. I mean, terrifying, but she was just showing me what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a very rare for a non-church member to, to see the blasting prayer wow. and they call them wolf because word of faith fellowship. So W O F F F. So they, around town, they call them the wolves because they hear them howling, you know, even at night. And that was the, the mystery, you know, is the, the wolf people. Yeah. Interesting. When I was listening to it and, you know, we'll, we'll get back to the investigation stuff, but when I was listening and, and I guess I listened to the first three. Yeah. You probably I, listened to the first I need three. To go yeah. Listen to the 11 now. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, what was interesting to me is that like I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the buckle of the Bible belt, that sort of thing. Oh, and, and they're from Tulsa. Or, yeah. I am not even surprised. <laughs> Sorry. They came Sorry, from the Tulsa. Kenneth Keegan. Uh, Kenneth Keegan? Uh, am I? Oh, Kenneth Copeland? Cope. Um, no. Um, oh, man. It's been so many years. Uh, I'm forgetting oh. my church. But anyways, what were you going to say? Okay. So, um, wait. So, the Word of Faith Fellowship got their start? They started. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, but as you, you know, the first interview was telling, he was telling his story I thought, oh my gosh, this is kind of in a gray area. You know, when I think of cult, I think of like way crazier stuff. Right. Waco. Or, yeah. yeah. And so just like the gray area. And then I found just even like law enforcement's involvement is that's kind of weird as well, just because it's like right on this line. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the fact that some people like don't even realize that 
things are happening to their kids and um, like psychologically, we're not yeah. even talking about anything else, like psychological abuse and stuff. So anyway. Well, I mean, without getting political or anything, when I, if I were to do the same story now, right in 2021, it wouldn't mm -hmm. be as weird as when I did it. You have to like, remember when I first oh, said yeah. this story, because now, I mean, we're talking about, they identify as a conservative Christian church, you know, mm -hmm. evangelical church, right? But like you said, the gray area is all the accusations of abuse that's happening and the locking people up in isolation for up to a year and, and uh, trying to beat the gay demons out of people, you know, like that, that's where right. the gray area lies. Yeah. But there are so many, um, like now it's so common to see this like ultra conservative Christian church that it made the gray even grayer, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Like it, it's, I, it doesn't seem as weird now as it was when, when I first said the story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Interesting. I still thought it was weird. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. At Workman Forensics, we're your modern day Sherlock Holmes. The team at Workman Forensics follows patterns to find money through forensic accounting and fraud investigation services. Using our data sleuth process, we build client cases telling the story of what actually happened. This process serves clients in the best way, whether they are going through a divorce, a partnership dispute, an estate and trust dispute, or a fraud investigation. So what is data sleuthing? Well, after serving clients in this best way for 10 years, we are proud of our technological improvements, making our investigations work similar to that of a manufacturing process. By following a consistent investigative and internal process, our team addresses client concerns in a timely, responsive, and thorough manner. But don't worry, clients don't go through this process alone. We believe communication is vital to the success of an engagement. So each client is guided by a highly trained and specialized expert forensic accountant along the way. And because we think data sleuthing is the best way to investigate financial disputes, we work to train other professionals as well through our investigation games, guided interactive workshops, and our Be A Data Sleuth seminars. To learn more about any of these services or trainings, visit our website, workmanforensics.com. In fact, our website is full of resources for anyone looking to learn more about forensic accounting, fraud investigation, or our data sleuth process. This includes blog posts, free Excel downloads, more podcast episodes, and links to our YouTube channel. So if you're looking to get into the investigation industry, or if you've been an investigator for years, we know you'll find something helpful in our free resources. So visit our website, workmanforensics.com. Welcome back to my interview with Javier Leva. So you have a couple episodes on the on your podcast, Pretend, about COVID-19 scams and uh, mainly about like stealing stimulus checks. And so just because that's a relevant topic, how did you run across this story? And then what did you discover? Well, you know, I, I had no plans, just like no one had planned for COVID-19, but I felt like it was, you know, whenever there's a natural disaster, a hurricane, a tornado, a flood or whatever, that's that's prime time for con artists, right? Like that they seize on those opportunities. And so a pandemic is no different. Whenever something catastrophic happens and when the government is trying to send out relief really fast, they're bypassing um, traditional like safeguards. And it's just get the money out there, get it out there as fast as possible. And it, they create so many opportunities for, for fraudsters or con artists to, to seize on, you know? Yeah. So how were people actually stealing the stimulus checks, I guess, 
is it similar to when somebody like claims your tax refund? Yeah, very similar to that. Uh, people were claiming other people's unemployment checks. Well, yeah, know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, the vaccine, or sorry, the COVID relief money sometimes came in as direct deposit. So if you did your taxes and you always got a refund through direct deposit, it would just go into your account. But if you didn't, if you always had to pay or you always got a check from the IRS, well, they would send you a, a check because the money came through the IRS. Well, if they're mailing you a check, that creates a, a scenario for fraud. They were also mailing people these debit cards and right. those could get stolen. So there, you know, there are so many scams. That's just the financial part of it. But there's the phishing and spoofing scams where, you know, um, and this I didn't even cover on the show, but even after the episode came out and the vaccine started rolling out, mm -hmm. it was wanting a vaccine and some people were trying to get it as fast as possible and they might get calls or text messages about a vaccine or even like antibody kits that don't really work. But everybody wants to know, you know, I took this vaccine. Do I really have the antibodies? Um, they, I mean, just so many scams, um, the miracle cures, you know, um, the, the collodial silver, I covered this on my show, uh, where they, they, they're, they're saying that, you know, collodial silver kills all these viruses. And they said it kills COVID-19 or like bleach. So I did a, a series in season two, I think, about um, people who inject bleach in, or drink bleach. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would imagine that those same people, it's called MMS, Mir Miracle Mineral Solution or something like that. And they would give it to babies and stuff like that. I would imagine that those same people are also telling people that this MMS, the bleach, kills COVID. So mm -hmm. you have to be weary of these people seizing these opportunities because they're exploiting people, people like us who really are suffering, you know, either with the virus or financially. So it, it's kind of sad how, how, how many different scams. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There were, there were so many. Um, I think I even saw like where some COVID testing was even fake. You know, they'd charge people for COVID testing, especially when testing was so limited. I mean, just taking advantage of the fear and vulnerability of people during that time. Really tragic. Oh, yeah. I heard about the vaccine lotteries, you know, how some states are having a vaccine lottery to see if, you know, they could entice people to take more vaccines. They've figured out a way, you know, like they're giving people phony calls and phony text messages claiming that they won the check. And, and in return, they need their personal and financial information to process the prize. I mean, you know, stuff like that. Right. So, right. I mean, you just have to be smart and question everything. Like the government will never call you, never ask you for your stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on one more series that you did, series of stories about uh, the treasure hunter hmm. guy. Yeah. And um, what were the characters in this scheme up to? This was just a weird story. This one actually came from a, from a listener who said, hey, Javier, you should check this out. And immediately it caught my attention. A treasure hunter con artist. I had to like dig into that. And what I found was that, I mean, long story short, there was this guy who's a treasure hunter off the coast of Florida who claims that he found this Peruvian burial mask, like just buried off in the in the sand, you know, off of the the treasure coast in Florida, which is central Florida, Vero Beach, uh, that area. That a lot of ships actually did wreck 
there are Spanish galleons. And so there is treasure down there, down there. But so I'm thinking, wow. So this company, this treasure hunting company is suing this treasure hunter because they claim that he's a con artist, that he's not really a treasure hunter. So I start digging into the story and it turns out that, wait, not only is this guy kind of sketchy, but this company making the claims that this guy is a treasure hunter, they're kind of sketchy too. And it turned into like this con artist on con artist story, which is fascinating <laughs> to listen to. And it actually ended up being longer of a series than I was hoping for. And it was so painful to put together. I mean, very enjoyable for you to listen to. But for me, the amount of BS that I had to listen to, because it was just like, usually you talk to the con artist and to the victim. But here I'm talking to the con artist and to another con artist. And they were just giving it to me from both sides. And it was it was exhausting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that one's actually um, – so Matt had told me about that one. And then also um, I saw it in your bio and information. And I was like, okay, that one's the next one on my list. So I'm, I'm going to check that one out. I've got a long drive to Dallas today, so I'm going to yeah. – it's so funny because I have like 80 something episodes now and, and it's hard to keep up with. And when people ask me which one's my favorite, it's hard for me to pick. I do have my favorite and um, I'm doing a follow up on my favorite episode, which is actually a story about a stalker. It was a woman. I don't know if you listened to it, but it's called The Cousins. And she reached out. You know, she wanted to learn more about her heritage. So she went on a genealogy website and she found some second and third cousins, you know, like just distant cousins. And she started interacting with them. And it turned out to be a really bad idea because these cousins started stalking her and there was S&M and there was bondage and there was uh, cannibalism and there was stalking and, and it, it just turned into a crazy story and I, almost hard to describe but I'm doing another stalker story for season eight and those terrify me because it's a real mystery of who is who are these people or who is this person stalking you know the, these people and then are do I even know the truth? You know, like, who do I believe? It, it's it's the only kind of stories. I mean, visiting a cult made me nervous for the day, but this one just mm -hmm. makes me nervous all the time, you know? Oh, yeah. Because you're yeah. dealing with an unknown person. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a little creepy. Yeah, it's very um, creepy. Especially for someone who didn't set out to do a true crime podcast. Yeah. So, I don't somebody else know. might... Somebody else would be real thrilled. Yeah, every now and then I ask myself, why are you doing this again? Right, right. That's awesome. Javier, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. And if any of our listeners would like to connect with you or learn more about your work and your show, what's the best way to do so? I would just follow me on social media. You could DM me on Twitter or Instagram, which is uh, at PretendPod, or you can find me on Facebook. I think that's at PretendPod too, or slash PretendPod. I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I would love to hear any of your questions or what you guys think about the show. Yeah, maybe you'll get some good tips on other yeah. uh, other things. Other things right, that well, would scare me. Things that would scare you? That's what yeah. you want? Or no, you don't want? I don't know. Just I, I, every time I get a message, it's something terrifying. So. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe they can, I don't know, market lighthearted. Anyway. All right. Well, we'll make sure to link to these in the show notes. And thank you again. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Investigation Game. For more information on any of the topics brought up on this show, visit workmanforensics.com. If you enjoyed our show, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. 
you can also connect with us on any social media platform by searching Workman Forensics. If you have any questions or topic ideas, please email us at podcast at workmanforensics.com. Thank you.